Hello friends and welcome to the Midweeks. We have a weird story today about David stealing a spear. And it just reminds me that sometimes the Bible has very unusual things in it. Now, it's my conviction that God's word was given to the church in order to help us to walk with Jesus, to have faith, to know God, and to serve him with our lives. And then you can read a story about David stealing into a camp of sleeping people to take a jar of water. You can think, why in the world do I need to know this? And I think you can feel that way about many things in scripture, but this is God's word. This is his story. And it's even interesting that God would take two books of the Bible, First and Second Samuel, to pretty much just cover one man's life. This is the story of the early kings, but it definitely focuses on David. The years before David, with the call of Samuel, moving through Saul, and then David's call to be king. And it's just good to sit down and have high expectations of these stories to be useful to us. These are our family history, as well as testimony to lives of faith, as well as a demonstration of God's ways in the world, as well as stories to build up our faith in God, even as Christians who know the Christ, who know the Messiah risen from the dead, who is the descendant of David. And one of the easy things you can just say is that the life of David is a foreshadow of the life of Christ in many ways, as well as he is the man who gets the promise that one of his descendants is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever, which Jesus is the inheritor of that promise. But all things said and done, why don't, well, not all things are said or done, but why don't we say more things until we're done? And we're going to be in chapter 26, and we're going to hear this story of David stealing Saul's spear. And I'm just going to make comments as we go. Verse 1, chapter 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? Now, I don't know who the Ziphites are. I probably could do some research, and I don't know where this hill is. But it's good to note that people are coming to expose David to Saul. We kind of learned in the last story with Abigail and Nabal that people have picked, are picking sides. Some people are the pro-Saul party, and some people are the pro-David party. And obviously these Ziphites are seeing that they're going to support Saul and maybe ingratiate themselves to Saul for rewards by exposing where David is hiding. And so they've come to him. And they ask this rhetorical question, which is often a way to make a statement in scripture. Isn't David hiding here? It's like David is hiding here. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 men of Israel, 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. So Saul, even after, you know, two chapters ago, Saul said he's going to leave David alone because David cuts the corner of his garment but leads him alone. And he says, sorry, 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 I'll stop hunting you. Um, Time has passed and Saul has been opened up to going after David again. So he's had his uh, anger at David stirred up and now he's going to take his 3,000 chosen men, which means it's his elites. These are his Navy SEALs. This isn't just the general army. These are his, uh, his bodyguard and his elite soldiers, the one that would probably be the standing army. So Israel could rouse all the troops where they just summon all Israel, like the farmers, to go and put down their plows and pick up their uh, spears. And you'd summon like the large groups of hundreds of thousands. But this would probably be the standing army, the people who just were always available for Saul to call into battle. Verse 3, And Saul encamped on the hill of Hikalah, which is beside the road to the east of Jeshimon. So the story has started with these Ziphites moving to Saul, and now it's followed Saul back to Ziph. 
and now we're going to change camera perspectives and move on to David. But David remained in the wilderness, and when he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. So just teaching you how to read this story, okay? So we follow Saul to Hekelah. David's in the wilderness, and then it says, when he saw Saul, that Saul came after the wilderness, he sent spies, this is David, and learned that Saul had indeed come. And someone could read that and say, this doesn't make any sense. He saw that it was Saul, and then he sent spies and learned that it was Saul. This is really weird. But I don't think, I, I think that the Old Testament stories are absolute masterpieces of uh, literature written by the Holy Spirit. And so I think what you're supposed to do is just... It helps you experience how this is happening for David. So it's moved from Saul coming to Hikala or Hakala, and now we've moved to David, and David is seeing somebody come out after him, okay? Remember, they don't have walkie-talkies. They don't have telescopes. He sees a troop coming, and how I read it is he thinks, boy, this is probably Saul. There's about 3,000 people. I've seen these dudes before. And then he sends out his spies to go and take a closer look to confirm that it was Saul and so that's how I'd read it but it's just I want you to know like don't get too hung up on when it seems like there's little inconsistencies sometimes scholars in the past have really trashed the Bible for little inconsistencies but what you're meant to do is you're meant to sympathetically read the story and try to understand it and as these storytellers tell their story they do often shift the attention location to a person and move into describing the story more from their perspective. So as it moved from Saul's perspective to David's perspective, we actually get told the story in a way that helps you experience David having progressive um, progressive information coming to him about who it is who's come out into the desert. Verse 5, Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army. And Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So I think there's a little echo there. You remember when God set up the tabernacle in uh, the Pentateuch, the Holy of Holies is in the center of Israel. And then there's the courtyard around him. And then there's the Levites encamped around him. And then there's the people encamped around that. And there's these like levels of holiness moving out from the presence of God. And you see that same kind of thing happening where Saul's in the center of the army. And then he's surrounded by his bodyguard and then surrounded by the rest of his chosen men. And so I think that what you can do there is you can take that picture of Saul at the center of his army and you can take that back to the Pentateuch. And you can just remind yourself that when Israel was traveling through the desert, they were set up in a way that looked like the king surrounded by his people. And you can see Saul, there, the setup of his camp is the king surrounded by his people. Verse 6, Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So he addresses these two people. They're probably top people in his army. Uh, Joab tends to be David's right-hand man in the army. Joab is a relative of his. I think it's his uncle or nephew or something like that. Um, so there's this family connection. But also you see there's Ahimelech the Hittite. Now, a Hittite is not a Israelite. And so David has gathered to himself a Gentile who's a major person in his army. And one of the echoes we have here is that David's, the fact that David 
um, had spent all this time in the wilderness, he actually gathered to himself a lot of Gentiles who wanted to serve him and wanted him to be their king. And this is a uh, foreshadow or a premonition of Christ who is going to gather the Gentiles to himself who want to come. We want this Jewish king, Jesus. We want this man, Jesus, who is the king over Israel. And we, the Gentiles, want him to be our king as well. And so you see uh, uh, for Echo, you see the beginning of this happen in David's life, how when he was on the run, he is the anointed king of Israel, not king yet, but the anointed king. And he has this Hittite who has pledged his life to David in a way that he fights his battles for him. Anyhow, Abishai is the one who says he'll come. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Okay, so why do they tell you all this stuff? So this helps you understand when David and Abishai go into the camp. It's not like Saul was just at the side and they kind of snuck into it. They are tiptoeing their way through 3,000 people. Now, technically, it's probably more like 1,000 because there'd be a thousand on one side, a thousand on the other side, a thousand up top or whatever it was arranged. But um, David and Abishai have had to really sneak through a lot of people in order to get to Saul in the middle and Abner right beside him. So Abner is the head of Saul's army and they have to sneak all the way through to get to Saul. Verse 8, then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. So he's just ready to kill him um, because Saul's been chasing them. Again, he's been chasing them a long time, and now they have this chance to dispatch him. But David's been through something, right? He's been through the episode in the cave where he, the mere cutting off of the corner of Saul's robe made David's uh, conscience go off. It struck his heart. And so David's got that experience. And also the story right before this was to David and Abigail, where Abigail stands up to save David from killing Nabal. Do you remember that? And so she says, you're going to be king. She's got faith. She's heard the prophetic words. So these, these, these prophecies of Samuel, these anointings of Samuel have gotten out. They're part of the gossip of Israel. Abigail has faith that David will be king. And he says, don't kill Nabal so that when you're king, you have all this regret. And David listens to Abigail. He says, I will obey your voice. And that lesson went right into his heart. So now that he has this chance to kill Saul, he's still in this place where he doesn't want any blood on his hands when he becomes king. So he's learned his lesson from Abigail. He's learned his lesson from his bad conscience. And so he responds and he says, verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So this is the lesson. Uh, you can't you can't do that. And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put up my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is in, at his head and the water jar and let us go. So God even taught David a lesson. Do you remember what happened to Nabal? So David chose to listen to Abigail and not kill Nabal. And a few days later, Nabal is dead by like a seizure, an aneurysm or something, or heart attack. Excuse me. And so, and then David comes and picks up Abigail as a beautiful, wise wife. And David's taking a lesson. God can kill my enemy and I come out of it with a wife. And so what he's seeing here, I think, is God can deal with Saul and then I'll get the kingdom. 
And God has shown that whole thing with Nabal was an object lesson for David. And so now David has faith to not strike Saul while still having confidence that one day God will give David the fulfillment of his promise. So they take the spear, which would be a symbol of Saul's military might, and they take the water jar, which is the symbol of Saul's human need, that he needs water, his life. his, his So it pictured, these are like Saul's livelihood. He uses a spear to defend his life. He uses the water to keep himself alive. And David takes these two precious things that would probably be signature things that everyone would recognize who worked with Saul. And he takes them. So David took the spear and the water, the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. And this is where you have the narrator being prophetic, being a prophet. He's telling you why no one woke up because God's hand was actually with David. And for a little while, we haven't actually heard um, about what the Lord's doing. David's kind of been living doing this thing every once in a while Urim and Thummim will speak to him but here we actually have the narrator explaining how in, how in the world did they manage to sneak up there and have a conversation and do all this stuff and it, the narrator is saying the Lord kept everybody asleep because he wanted to prove a point here verse 13 then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them and David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner saying will you not answer Abner then Abner answered who are you who calls the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord. The lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the jar of water that was at his head. Now, this is really interesting. He doesn't address Saul directly and say, I could have killed you. He uses some wisdom and he addresses this indirectly. It's no problem to tell Abner, he to expose Abner and humiliate Abner. That's not so bad. And it was Abner's job to uh, protect the king's life. Like That's his job. As the head of the army and the head of the, the bodyguard, his main job is to protect Saul's life. And so the fact that he fell asleep as well, he probably should have stayed awake or set a watch. The fact that everyone was asleep and he was asleep means that it was a profound dereliction of duty. And you could get killed for less in many armies. Like the Spartans, if you fell asleep when you were on watch, uh, they would just kill you. So because sleeping while you're on watch means that everybody else can get killed. So they'd rather just kill anybody who falls asleep on the watch. And even in uh, armies that aren't quite as severe as that. Um, I remember reading during the Korean War in, I think it's David Hacksworth's uh, autobiography, he said if somebody got caught falling asleep on the watch, people would just beat the snot out of them because your job is to stay awake so nobody gets killed. So David takes on Abner and humiliates him, and rightly so, but this is actually because he wants to talk with Saul. Verse 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? Now, remember, this, David is uh, Saul's son-in-law. So that is legally true, though it is also just addressing him as a younger man of relationship. And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. 
If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. So God is mad at me, and that's why you're chasing me. I'm, I'll, I'll do an offering. I'll appease the Lord with an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So there's a lot going on here, but David understands this. He already had a promise from Saul that that Saul wasn't going to do this anymore. So why is this happening? Is it God? Well, if it's God, David's going to ask for forgiveness from God. But it's more likely that people are playing politics, people are playing power moves, and Saul has fallen for this politics and power moves. And so David is saying, hey, their goal is actually just to get rid of me. They want me to go serve other gods means like leave Israel, go and be in another nation where you're going to have to de facto be among idolaters. And he's saying, I don't want, I don't want that. I want to live and die in Israel and you're wasting your time hunting me. I'm not going to harm you. So this is David's public defense. Now remember, this is in front of not only Saul, but all of his army as well. So whoever was involved with this whole human plot to take out David has just been exposed. Um, verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. So his conscience strikes him again. David's in the right. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So Saul confesses his sin, David accepts the apology, and then turns it to the Lord. And now one of the things I've been saying on and off here is that I think this whole story proves the theology of God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And David is saying that thing too when he says God rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness and he's going to uh, protect me and consider my life holy because I didn't attack you. This is that theology. God is opposing the proud. That's Saul. He's proud coming after him again and he's just been opposed by God with this deep sleep that allowed him to almost be assassinated. And he's giving grace to the humble and that's what David's calling on. God's going to consider my life precious because I was humble enough to not take you out and his confidence is in God. Okay, and then here's the last verse. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. And I think this is the last interaction that Saul and David have in the book. And it ends with a blessing. And I think that's kind of the point of the chapter here. There's there's a lot's going on, but they want to, sorry, the, the, the prophet who's writing this story and God who's ruling over this wants to tell how Saul's last interaction with David was a blessing. When David becomes king in a few chapters, he's got some more troubles, but when David becomes king in a few chapters, he will have become king having received a blessing from the previous king. See, that's a big deal. David isn't a usurper. He's protected Saul's life twice. And 
even when Saul said goodbye to David, it wasn't so long and don't let me catch you here again. <clears throat> he says, blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things. You will succeed in them. It ends with a blessing. David receives the blessing of the previous king moving into this. And that's an important factoid to have in hand politically in David's day, but also for us knowing that even with all the conflict between Saul and David, ultimately God brought it about that Saul did bless David to succeed in what he would do next. And the next things he does is he goes into the land of Phil the Philistines for a while, but eventually he's going to come back to be king over Israel. And he literally does have the blessing of the anointed king to succeed in that role. So there's the summary for today. And for us, I think this is a great story to remind us of God's ability to protect us in tough times. We all ha are having lots of tough times. We all feel threatened in lots of ways. But if our go goal is to please God, if our goal is to uh, do God's goals, then we can trust that God is faithful to us and he will bless us. He will oppose us if we're proud, but he'll gr give grace to us if we're humble. And this is an encouraging thought as we go through many different things. So the Lord be with you and the Lord bless you in Jesus name. Amen.